Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Goldstone Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. Our reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through to the end of the chapter. Romans 13, and it's up there, chap, um, 13 verses 8 through 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you, sorry, the commandments, you, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let... Sorry, oops shadow over there. Sorry. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what I think about. Um, I think I've mentioned it before when I come back from, uh, from Indo that, uh, that one of the great things was that I got to watch uh, the Jesus Revolution on the plane, which in itself is amazing that Qantas would even show that to start off with. Um, but it was even more amazing when we were looking at washing your feet up there. I don't know whether you've seen it or not. But the Jesus Revolution was the start of Calvary Chapel. And... Jesus' Revolution was the start of Maranatha music, and nearly all the songs that we sung up there all have come from that era, which is the hippie era, uh, and they translated Woodstock into Christian music, into Christian music, into, into worship music, and then it's gone on from there. And one of the big things was that um, Chuck Smith was the guy who started Calvary Chapel, uh, and, uh, and he was in a church that was... Uh, just going through the motions, going through church, and let me say, it transformed under God beyond all imagination uh, to the point that it's at today, which is just absolutely massive. And it all started primarily, if you watch Jesus' Revolution, is when a particular elder, which was not Tony, a particular elder that came up and said, all these hippies coming into our newly carpeted building, they've got all dirty feet and they're going to ruin the carpet. So the next Sunday, everybody got their feet washed before they entered into the building. And that, not in and of itself, but that started an explosion where people could come to that church as they were. And they went from baptism to baptism to preaching to preaching. And, you know, they had some corrections along the way on, on, on motives and things like that, but... At the end of the day, 
They stand there now as Harvest Christian Church and as Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Huge churches that are making massive impact. And for me, I sit there and say, bring it on, God. Do a work in our community here. Do a work in our community in Sydney so that we can truly get what it means to serve our neighbour on the outside. And part of that is what our discussion that's happening here today. In the words of Gandalf the Great from the Lord of the Rings, in troubled times like we see ourselves and in difficult times like we see the church being in our, in our world, and I just want to stop for a second there, we are in a difficult time of presenting the gospel. And I was talking to people even yesterday about it, uh, where we're in a difficult time where we see stuff that's happening in our world and stuff that's happening within the moral and ethical climate of our world and we want to speak out about it but if we speak out about it we seem to be these people who are just crossing lines all the time and butting our heads against walls and yet SRE in school for example uh, one girl uh, talked to me we were talking about the Good Samaritan and how I guess the, the call for Jesus is to love your neighbour as yourself. And, and, and the question from, uh, from the, the, the scribe or the, the, or the Sadducee, if probably who it was, uh, said, well, who's my neighbour? And it went through this whole parable about how all these people who are supposed to see this other person as their neighbour didn't, but the person who helped the person was actually understood who their neighbour was and he said, go and do likewise. So who was your neighbour? Oh, the person who showed mercy to And this girl says, so it's not my neighbour next door, my neighbour is the person who I help. I went, oh, lights went on. And I said, well, that's it, isn't it? It's not the person who lives next door, it's anybody. One other boy said, so it's anyone who we come in contact with. Yes, you got it. And so for these young SRE people, they're knowing the intersect that's going to happen and they're seeing the stuff that's going to go on because it means treating people as they are, washing their feet as they are, serving people as they are, not waiting for them to come in here or waiting for them to cross your path. You cross people's paths every day. And we need to have the eyes of God so we see the people broken and crippled and not able to get up, even though they're walking around doing their job. And we want to bring healing to them by introducing them to the one who can heal, and that is Jesus. Bit of a sidestep. Word of Gandalf the Great and Lord of the Rings. Ours is not to question the times. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that God has given us. It's not only a major theme of the Lord of the Rings, it's actually a major theme of this passage in, in uh, Romans chapter 13. What do we do with the time that God has given us? If we look at verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we, than we first believed. The night is nearly over the day is almost here. And there's a sense of urgency, isn't there, that Paul brings, saying we need to wake up and we need to start doing what God wants us to do because God is at work and you are either going to fish or you're going to cut bait. But you are going to do something with your life, so make it matter 
and consider what you're going to do with the time that God has given to us. Jesus Christ is going to come back one day. And if he doesn't come back in your lifetime, you will go to be with him. Guaranteed. And when you get there, you want to hear the call, well done, good and faithful servant. And part of that call of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, will be answering the question with God, what is it that you would have me to do with the time that you've given us? It's true, isn't it? The end of our life is nearer than we first thought. The end is nearer than we first believed. It's kind of like the sign on the side of mirrors that you get on your car that the objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. You know what it is, don't you? Like that, the, the mirror thing on, what is it, the left-hand side where it's closer than the appear? Now, if you're not convinced of this, all you need to go is go to the web and, and there's a website that calculates your, calculates your expected time that you have on this earth. You enter into the information about your birth and, your, and where you, you know, your health and all the rest of it, and it calculates your expected time of departure. It's called the lifespan clock. And their claim is that we are inter- the internet's friendly reminder of your time is slipping away. Well, thank you very much. So I type in my details and I find out this, that I have 441,503,998 seconds left to live. And I'm going to check out on 2037. So if you think you're going to be around on the diaconate, we're going to have a search committee around that time for a new pastor. <laughs> Year of my death, 2037, and it's kind of freaky that, that when you see that on the screen. But all things being equal, when I'll depart this world is apparently then. And the fact that they break it down in seconds is actually a bit of a, a shocker even in itself because I think, how many seconds did I waste looking up this life clock? And we know it's a bit of a joke because ultimately God knows the, the point of, of my departure and your departure. However, when you think about things like this, Paul goes on a bit of a lifespan clock sort of experience. He says, the question is, what do I, how do I make the rest of my life the best of my life? Not the best of my life personally, but the best of my life in service of God. Wouldn't you love to know what God has to say about that? In Romans 13, I think he says a lot about it. He prescribes five very practical and very specific actions where we can make the rest of our life matter for God. And the first one is this. Pay up, stay current in your debts. Let no debt remain outstanding. Verse 8. He says, don't be a slavery to long-term debt. You might wonder why Paul brings this up, with, uh, why he begins with finances, and why he's taking, you know, in the whole scheme of making the most of the rest of your time, why finance is even part of that. Because you can get so locked up in debt that we're not free to do the things that God wants us to do. If God has called you to follow him to this place or that, if he's called you to generously give to a particular need, the reality is we want to say, God, here we are. And here is what I have. 
You don't want to say, God, I'd love to, but I can't because I've got so many obligations that I've tied up with. Paul is just saying, if you're going to make, the mess, the rest, the, make a difference in the rest of your time that you have on this earth, stay as free as possible. Don't get overextended. Don't be wise, be smart, stay paid up, stay current. Now, some people have used these verses to say that you shouldn't borrow anything, and this is a really hard passage. This is the value about going through books of the Bible because we're sitting here going to go, are we going to take out, and here's a, here's a news clip, are we going to take out about an $85,000 loan to do the, our building here? It's not talking about that. What it's talking about is don't take an $85,000 loan and try to pay it back in a month. Stay wise so we're not all invested and we can't ever share the love that God has given us. In fact, Jesus says, if you to give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from, from do not turn away from the ones who wants to borrow from you, he knows that there is going to be times in your life where you're going to need to borrow to get by. And it's the sort of thing that happens with Proverbs. There's all sorts of stuff within Proverbs that talks about how wise you need to be with the money that you have and the time that you have. In Greek, there it goes, you know, you don't want to have that generally when preachers preach because they're just going to go on about Greek. But in Greek, it means this, in the tense that it's written in. Stop continuing continuing to borrow. Don't make debt a lifestyle that you have. Don't be in perpetual debt that you never will get out of it and you're always cash poor. Don't borrow without any intention to pay back. In other words, don't put yourself in a place where you're so leveraged out that people you're indebted to end up being your Lord rather than him. That's a big one, isn't it? So stay wise, be, be free and pay up. And very practical advice for life. The next one is build up. Build up one another. Share the love. Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt of love. For he who loves his fellow man will be fulfilled, will, has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are all summed up in one rule. And he says, talk about keeping it simple. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does not harm his neighbour. Therefore, it fulfills the, the fulfilment of the law. Kind of puts a new light on Paul, doesn't it? Paul, this kind of didactic type of guy that's going through the whole theology of Romans, all of a sudden says, love one another. In this gladiator kind of Roman culture, he's saying to people, love, kind of like the Beatles thing he comes up with. Maybe that's first song, all you need is love. You might wonder why Paul prioritises love when he's addressing how to make the, rest, make the rest of your time important for God. Because when it comes down to it, love is what matters at the end of life. I'm sure that most of us have been to funerals. And as a minister, I have taken a lot of funerals. And particularly at one point in my life, I was taking a funeral and sometimes two or three funerals every week. And you get those funerals, there's different. There's two different types, really, in some ways. One, where there's very few people there, as a general rule, and all that's talked about are the achievements that the person made in life. 
where they went to, who they were, they were president of this, they were members of that, what they left as far as money, the possessions go, the impact that they made in, in life. And, uh, and they're very few, generally, very few people that come along. But then you have ones that are packed out. And I've been to some where they're kind of out the door looking in. And all they're talking about is the love the person was, the character that they had, how they gave of themselves, how their life mattered because they loved other people. You know, you get those remarks that, that, that where people start telling stories about how grandma wrote me this card and I was going through some tough time and where nobody else knew but her. And you know the one about dad, how he put his arm around me one time and, and, said, and said something that changed my life. It's about their love and nothing but love. It's what I want and it's probably what you want, I think, at your funeral, that your life is all about love. That your measure of success in life is, comes from a different standard than what our world would present. That our measure in success in ministry is different than whether we just have masses amounts of people here, whether we are truly, like the Thessalonian church, was known for their faith, love, and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want that. We want that first and foremost, our goal in our ministries is to love people and to put them first, above all. And Paul says, love is the fulfilment of the law. Well, how does that work? Well, love's not going to sleep with your neighbour's wife, is it? We won't murder our neighbour or poison their trees or force them to live in constant noise, or force them to look in the rubbish in our backyard, or the, or the lawns that are unkept where the yard's not mowed at all. Love is not going to steal from your neighbour, or even keep their lawnmower for more than a month. Might be a bit of a conviction where you're going to go home to get, open up your garage and get all the tools that you borrowed and start giving it back to your neighbour. And like, oh, I didn't know where that shovel was. Love isn't going to covet what is your neighbour's. Love is not going to drool over their pool or their Porsche or their poodle. Love doesn't want what your neighbour has, but rejoices for them and what they have, even if they park their boat in the front of your place. That's love. Kind of unconditional love that fulfils the law. But it's easy, isn't it, to think of loving, lovable people. You know, that family member that you like or the friends that you just get on with or the people that you just hang out with. And it's easy to love people like that. But it's not the full extent of what Paul is talking about. It's easy to love people like you, isn't it? Paul says, love one another. And in the Bible, there's two different words for one another. And the first one means one of the same kind. The other one is the one that's different. And it's what the girl at SRE got. It's not whether the person comes from a different country, a different race, speaks a different language or follows a different religion. We've, we know that Jesus is the truth. We know that the only way that people really listen 
is they listen because they recognise that you have their best interest at heart, that you're not sharing knowledge, you're sharing truth because it's going to make a difference in their life and you know it's made a difference in your life. You may be thinking that in 2023, that's just political correctness. But not so. When Jesus talks about loving your neighbour, he's talking about the Samaritan. The one who is crippled and beaten up on the ground. And while the Samaritan knew it, some people are like that and they don't even know it. And our love will look at them with compassion. And if you don't think it's costly, it cost the guy who helped the Samaritan and he paid what was considered to be a massive amount of money to the innkeeper and said, I'm going to keep on paying until this person is well. Hmm? I don't know what that's going to mean for us, but it's going to mean that if we want to love people, it's going to be a costly experience. It means that you'll love that person when you're incapable of really loving them. It means sometimes, as we're going through pastoral care, it means that you're going to love that person when they're incontinent, when they're crusty, when they say the things that they shouldn't say. Like one person when I was at, uh, at uh, Wellandra Village, they're probably not alive now, so I can share that, come up to me, the first sermon that I, pre- first sermon that I preached when I was a, a, uh, um, a chaplain at Wellandra Village and said, I hated that. And I said, what did you hate about it? And she goes, all of it. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. And so I thought, well, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to get Tim Belenko in. He's a great speaker. He's a keynote speaker at the convention. He spoke. She walked up to him and said, I hated that. We have to love people like that. She gave me a book. She was a misho, ex-misho. Gave me a book that she wrote about her life and said, can you read that this week? I said, great, I'll read it. So I went and read the first chapter because it was long. And, uh, and she came up and said, how did you like it? And I go, so tempted. I went, I loved it. (laughs) Sometimes you've got to uh, go that extra mile. Paul reminds us that our love is our first obligation. In fact, he says that we're indebted to love. Why are we indebted to love? Because Jesus loved us. We don't love, we love because Jesus first loved us. And in that, we're, we're obligated to love others. But it's not an obligation as in a, uh, a, uh, uh, an obligation of, of grinding away. No, it's an obligation of we just want to. So we need to pay up, we need to love up, we need to wake up. Live each day in a sense of urgency to do this, to understand our present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we ever first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Now, there's sometimes when you wake people up, you are literally in danger of your life. I don't know whether you've ever done that before. When the alarm clock goes off, you duck because it might be thrown across the room. I'm not quite sure. I had one guy that I've shared about before where I woke him up to go to rodeos and I used to stand at his door and throw my boot at him. 
and this was a long way away and I had an excellent shot. I'd hit him and then I'd run because he was a bear, let me tell you. Some people just have a hard time waking up. I don't know. If you're a morning person, you're a rare breed as far as I'm concerned. It's hard to wake up physically. It's even harder to wake up spiritually. And the problem that, that Paul is addressing is that it's not... You know, he makes that phone call, he gets that text. You know how you have the phone call and you have the phone where it presses the snooze button? You know, where you just keep on pressing it, pressing it, pressing it. What should happen is about the fourth time you press it, it should zap you or something like that so that you just can't press it ever again. And Paul makes that phone call and he says, ah, don't press the snooze button. And sadly, for some, the alarm only goes off on Sundays. And then you hear snooze button, which is easy to do. And sometimes the alarm's set for exactly seven days again, and then it'll press the snooze button again. And for others, though, it's not like that. That, that wake-up call happens on the Sunday where it energises you so that you might get up and live for God the rest of the week. And I pray that when you come to church, it's like that. You are never tempted. If you are, speak to me about it. I want to speak to you about it. If you feel as though every Sunday you just need to press the snooze button, I want to talk to you. I want to pray that through so that this Sunday, the same as every Sunday, energises you to a point where you go out and you want to serve God. You want to say to yourself, I'm going to get serious with him. I'm going to join a Bible study. I'm going to join a connect group, not just to meet for study, but to connect together, to share life with each other. And then you know what happened in Acts? This is what happened in Acts. God caused their number to increase beyond all imagination, so much so that 3,000 people by the end of their first little bit uh, had joined the church. Why? Because they connected with each other. They learnt, they got entrenched in the apostles' teaching. They prayed, they gave, they shared life. They were with each other. They were involved in ministry. And Paul encourages me and encourages you that if there's anything that's prompting you to press the snooze button, to put it off and to follow Jesus. Ephesians 5 says, Wake up, O, uh, wake up, o you sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I'll say this, that he'll shine in you as well. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. But Christ is victorious. And I'm, in, I'm encouraged. I was encouraged and challenged this week. What do I have to put off in my life? What stuff is in my life that is even tempting to press the snooze button and not follow God. So you've got to wake up. And when you wake up, what do you do? You have a shower and get cleaned up. Set aside those dark deeds. He says, so put, so put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension, not in jealousy. And Paul is saying that if you're going to live in love, there is some, there are some stuff that you're just not going to do, you're not going to go to. And he specifically mentions six things, and it's a part of self-indulgence, it's part of sexual morality, and it's not being party of dissension. 
obviously causing jealousy and causing dissension within the church. And obviously the first two are fairly easy, you know, self-indulgence we, we know about and self uh, sexual immorality we kind of know about, but dissension is not so obvious sometimes because we don't know sometimes how we're causing dissension in our life. In our life. The implication from the Roman church must have been something that they were disconnected. He doesn't just mention these things because these are general things in life. There must be something within the Roman church that is causing the problem, the disconnect, the, the dissension within the group. And he says, don't make, make sure that you don't get involved with these things. And if you do, well, then put them aside. He doesn't lay a guilt trip on them. I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you because there's, there's parts of our life where we, uh, we know that we should be putting them aside. We know we should be putting Christ on. But he says, don't waste your precious time wallowing in guilt, but learn to move on because Jesus has forgiven you. The same as the woman caught in adultery. Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what Jesus says. He doesn't say, look, I just want you to wallow in this for a few, few months here and make yourself go down and further and further. And when you have reached the pit that you can't possibly ever get out of and you feel so bad about the way that you're living and what you're doing, he says, no, get up and go and don't sin anymore. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. But going back to 12 verse 1, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James 1 says, whatever gets your attention gets you. So make sure our attention is Jesus. Like when you're on diet, of which I go on on a regular basis depending on my surfing trips. If I just stand, which I do often, Susan will testify to this, stand in front of an open fridge and go, what am I going to eat? I shouldn't do that because I'm going to eat something from the fridge. I mean, if I've gone for the effort and used all the calories to open up the, the fridge door, well, then I'm going to have to replace those calories because it's precious by eating something from the fridge. You're just not going to do that. I mean, you can answer a lot of our prayers, lead us not into temptation by just being wise. Someone once said that you can prevent the birds flying over your head, but you can't prevent them nesting in your hair. I can, because I don't have any hair. Paul makes a full circle to Romans 12, verse 1, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and it will be like the Philippians church, to put on the mind of Christ. And my prayer is that whatever we think about in our life, and we know whatever we're thinking about, whatever our mind is pondering, is the way that we'll act. I mean, fantasize long enough and your fantasies will come into action. But clothe yourself and think about Jesus. And so that will be true too. And that's my prayer and that's Paul's prayer, I think. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we have gone down uh, roads where we are so entrenched in our life 
that we just feel as though we're boxed in and, and where you call us to serve, we wonder how that's going to be. And Lord, you will keep on calling us to serve and sometimes we are so far in debt financially or so far in debt with our time commitments or so far in debt with stuff that's happening in our life that something comes up for us to walk, a door to walk through and we can't because we've just got this baggage all around us. And Hebrews tells us to lay off and cast off anything that, that's, that's stopping us from serving you and stopping us from walking with you. And the, don't be so captivated with the sin that so easily can entangle us. And, and we read from Paul, Lord, we need to be wise about the time that we have left. And we don't know what that is. And for some people, it's a long time. Maybe. But we need to live as though every single day that we have and every single second that we have is precious to you and your ministry on this world and we have the privilege to be part of it. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your kingdom come and we are privileged to be part of that. Amen.